to the Suicide Prevention Show. We are waking up the world with the power of positivity, making suicide, especially teen suicide, a thing of the past. And I am very happy that you are with me right now. This is going to be the most fun you can have with your clothes on because we're about to get naked. I know that sounded a little confusing, didn't it? We're about to go into the power of speaking naked with none other than Tyler Foley. And I'm trying to make sure that's not in the way. There we go, Tyler. So this is where we get to explore the true essence of what makes a difference. And so please help me welcome to the studio, Tyler Foley. Hi, Jackie, you got me? I got you. Yay, look at you. Poof, it's magic. <laughs> well, uh, thank you for having me on. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I think uh, it'll be fun, exciting, educating, illuminating, all those fun things. Well, there we go. We accent on fun. Accent on fun. So I know we already have a question. I'm going to ask him to pop it into the chat. Um, so that we can keep, we can start rolling and then we'll take some other questions at the end of the session. So. Sounds good. I love questions. So let's kick them off to start right. and we'll finish strong with them to end. Well, then I'll tell you what, why don't we, um, let's see if Eve will get her question typed in. And if I don't see it come in, maybe we'll even let her talk. I don't know. Could be dicey. What do you think? Craziness, but I'm up for it. All right. So, hey, Eve. If you're there and you can unmute, I don't, I, uh, you have to unmute yourself. I've given you the power. There you go. Hello. Hello, Eve. How are you? I'm okay. So you have your hand raised, Eve. What is your question? Oh, I didn't have, oh, sorry. Uh, was a mistake. Ah! <laughs> There we go. Okay. So if you have a question, feel free to type it into the chat. Okay. Okay. Apologies. No worries. I'm just delighted that you're there. Okay. Cool. It happens. We understand this. Oh boy, do we understand this. So let's go with when you're speaking, these things happen. I mean, somebody drops a platter of dishes, the microphones go out. Yo, these things happen when we're speaking. So is that part of what somebody has to be aware of if they're going to take the power? Well, and it's a very good point. And one of the reasons why I wrote the book was to encourage people and really to empower people to use their voice, um, especially this day and age. Uh, Everybody talks about how connected we are. Um, and yet we're so isolated because this connection, you and I are, you know, a couple thousand miles apart right now, Jackie. And so although we ha have the ability to connect and talk and communicate, uh, we're still isolated. I'm alone in my basement right now. There's nobody else in the house and it's just me. So even though you and I have this sense of connection where we're not actually we don't have well, close proximity. So there's not the resonance that they exactly were in the same. And, room. and so things like these tech glitches keep mm -hmm. coming up. I know I was uh, speaking this morning around 11 o'clock my time and my mic was popping. I had a scratchy shirt. I think I changed just for you, Jackie. 
Um, but you know, it's all these tech issues, you know, the raising of the hand and, and not being able to see if somebody is actually asking a question or doing one of these, it's virtual now. So we only see the little icon pop up and recognizing that all of that is serpiculous. It doesn't matter, right? We ultimately just need to trust our voice and say the thing that's on our mind. And in fact, say the thing that we're probably afraid to say, and that's going to be the real conversation. Ooh, I like this. Okay, so tell me more. Where did this whole concept of say the thing that you're afraid to say come from? Well, I remember when I first started speaking, and like most speakers, a, I thought I could speak about anything or everything. Just give me a stage and tell me what you want me to say. I'll be your pitch man. Um, I resemble that problem, Mark. Okay. <laughs> and, and the drawback to it is, is that I, for years and years and years, was an actor. I started on the stage at six years old. And I've been in film and television now for going on 35 years. So I really, really did believe my own press that yeah just put me up on stage and I can say anything the problem with that is you know if you don't stand for something you stand for nothing ah and because I didn't have a story in my mind to tell I didn't I was looking to tell other people's stories and that doesn't resonate with people <clears throat> really the key is is to say the things that terrify you here because there's somebody else who needs to hear that message and i know especially on this platform with what we're talking about today i have a concrete example of that where a good friend of mine two of them um we were all speaking at a summit together and both my friend jared and my friend vanessa have struggled with mental health um, depression, suicidal thoughts. Both of them had made multiple attempts on their lives at some point. Um, and my friend Jared had at that point, most recently uh, attempted about a year prior to him making the talk. And particularly in his case, Jared's case, he's a professional. He's um, a mortgage uh, or not a mortgage broker, he's he, uh, insurance. And, you know, he's a he suit and tie guy with multiple clients and he's, he sells life insurance. And he, you know, and he's, he's here trying to take his own and the, the mixed messaging of that. And he was terrified, terrified to, to say that out loud. Yeah. And he had an opportunity at a, a wonderful seminar that we both attended to have six minutes to talk about it because he want he is a speaker it's not that he wants to be he is a speaker he's an incredible orator and, and professional speaker but he, at that point he hadn't gotten to it and so he took his six minutes and he said it and there wasn't a dry eye in the entire room and a lot of people came up to him and said, you know, how brave he was. And it was the opposite reaction of what he thought in his head would happen. You know, here I am a professional. And if I start talking about my mental health and the things that I'm struggling with, people are going to view me poorly. 
Mm-hmm. And that's not the reality. The reality is we sympathize with people. We have empathy. We resonate with those, particularly if it's a story that is similar to ours. And, and so Vanessa reached out to him and said, I've had the same problem. And she started talking about her struggles. Uh, she has alopecia, so her she's bald and has been since I believe t- early teens, like 12, 13, 14, oh, she lost her hair. Age. And that's right when you're a little girl in school, particularly going into mm. junior high. You know, like that's a hard time to have a body image issue, let alone a medically complicated body image issue that then spirals itself. Mm-hmm. And so she started talking about what her struggles were and this led to a series of talks that they both put on and then we were at an event speaking um up here in canada called life by design and vanessa had her talk in the morning and jared was closing out the afternoon and both of them really expanded on what led them to their thoughts, why they were approaching it the way that they were, why they wanted, what, what the struggle was and the lack of support and all the things that went into it. But they talked about it mm-hmm. and they talked about it in a very raw way, in a very real way and in a hopeful way. Look, I came out because of this. This is where I was. I am so thankful that it didn't work out the way that I wanted it to. Jared's story is phenomenal. If you guys ever get a chance, his talk is called the uh, 10-minute time machine. And oh, it just heart-wrenching. The fact of the matter is, is in that room, there was a, a wonderful woman. And her plan was she'd gotten this ticket for free from a friend. So she was going to go for the weekend because why not? One last Thing to do and then she was going to go home that Sunday night and she was going to kill herself that was her plan and that was her plan for a month she had everything set out she had mechanisms arranged she knew what she was doing it was down to the minute and then she heard Vanessa talk and something triggered in her then mm. she heard Jared talk and she understood that there is divinity and this was her last chance to make a change and so she reached out to them after their talks talked to them privately and they said well what can we do how can we support you and they everybody stayed in touch and and kept going and then a year later she came and talked about what had happened the year before and the difference that had made guess what or people in the audience had similar issues going on, one of them with a concrete plan that was going to take place next week. They were kind of at the event, seeing if something would change and guess what happened? Something changed. And it was because it was a ripple effect. Jared got brave because he was given the opportunity and it was the thing that was most real and raw to him because at that point, when he first did his six minute talk, we were less than a year out from, from his attempt. Yeah. That gave Vanessa the courage to have her talk. She gave Charlene the courage to have her talk 
which gave another couple of people. And now we're seven out because one person had the ability to say, this is how I feel. This is what I'm struggling with. The power to speak naked is not imagining your audience naked or imagining yourself naked or running out and doing whatever. What it is, is finding the naked truth. (laughs) What is the reality? Strip everything away and say the thing that you're afraid to say, because nine times out of 10, the thing you're afraid to say is what your audience needs to hear. And you don't know who your audience is until you start broadcasting that message. Oh, boom. That's a powerful statement that I think more people need to hear because so many people struggle with what, you know, what is my topic? And then who is my audience for this? You know, what is my niche? Who is my ideal client? Who's my tribe? And the prevailing sense is that you're supposed to be able to figure this out. And you can't figure it out here. I mean, I had no clue who the audience was going to be for this show. I just had to start this show. I mean, it was like, it didn't matter who it was for. I didn't have to figure that out. I just had to do the what. What I didn't know is that the audience would find me. Yeah. So, and and I wish I had known you back when I started this. Yeah. <laughs> Jackie, I love that you and I get to hang out every month the way that we do already, but you're right. I, I, I've resonated with you for over a year now, and, and it feels like I've known you all my life, but I, I do wish that you and I could have known each other considerably longer. I, I do enjoy every time we get to get together. Oh, thank you. I, and I as well. Tyler, where did this all come from for you, this concept of it's the naked truth that the world needs to hear. Well, part of it came from a growing up in the theater. So Hmm. as an actor, especially being exposed to the arts as young as I was, I didn't know any better. So a, I didn't know stage fright. I was too young to be afraid. Every, anybody who's had uh, a young child, you know, three, four, five, six, you know that the most terrifying place on the planet is either your home or the playground because they're going to find the highest thing and jump off of it because that's what kids do because they have no fear. They have no concept of the cause and effect. Yeah, and I jump, I could hurt myself. But And the natural state of a three-year-old is, look at me, look at me, look at me. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And the attention, you want the attention. Yeah, they're narcissistic and it's cute at that age. Exactly. And for me, that I just naturally grew up. So I'm not afraid of an audience. And, and I loved the applause. I don't think there's anybody around who doesn't, even if you shy away from it, even if you embarrass, even if you feel your complete flush, if you were to get a standing ovation right now, you being from the inside, you may want to shy away from it. There's parts of you who will go, ah, but you're going to beam. And I learned it at a very early age that I love that sound. That makes me light up. And I wasn't afraid of the stage and I wasn't afraid to play. That's the other great thing about the theater is that I got to just, I got to play, I got to be other people. 
I got to explore different scenarios in a safe environment. And I was exposed to all kinds of different concepts and beliefs at a formative age where I wasn't limited. I didn't learn limitation. I learned abundance very rapidly. Mm. And it was when I started to see the change in me where I was like, well, why, why is that? I remember the first time I was ever, uh, I ever received stage fright. I was, what would I, I would have been 14 because it was my, my grade nine year. And on Remembrance Day, your Veterans Day, we every year, you know, there's always a, a ceremony, right, at the schools. And, and for years, because I'd been in theater and because I'd won, you know, regional and provincial speech competitions, I was always the one who was chosen to read in Flanders Field, which is a famous Canadian poem about Flanders Field, uh, Row on Row, the Poppies Grow. And because of that, I just did it, right? I'd learned, I think I memorized that poem when I was in the fifth grade. Yeah. And maybe even the fourth. So come the ninth grade, 14 years old, I'm about to give this speech. And the assembly in the gym had rows and rows, probably, I don't know, 100, 200 people in it. Small beans for me at the time. But as I was prepping to give the speech and recite the poem, they wheeled in this veteran. And this veteran, I don't know if he was a World War I or World War II veteran, but just based on his age, he was probably one of the last surviving World War I veterans. He was old, old, and grizzled and mean and sharp looking. And I remember his eyes, they were the most crystal blue. Everything about him seemed frail, but you could see that he still knew what was going on here. He was bright and alive. And even though he was in this wheelchair, he had this walking cane. And I'll never forget it, that he had this cane with him because as they wheeled him up and they kind of got him settled, he sat down on this cane and he leaned forward like this and his eyes just glared into me. And it was almost uh, subconsciously, I could, I could hear what I thought was his thoughts. And it was one of those, you have no idea what you're talking about. You weren't there. Ooh. Now, was that man actually thinking that? I have no idea. But that was what the internal judge of me was saying. And I could see this. And all of a sudden, the, the gravity of the words that I was about to say about the death that had taken place in the thousands of graves in Europe that were covered in poppies now and the and the sacrifice that that symbolized hit me just went um, and I went oh and I couldn't even remember the first line in Flanders field well, I don't know and I, I froze just froze and you know everybody's looking at me like Tyler just freeze. Like it was unexpected and I didn't know how to recover from that. And so I had to go away from that going, why did that happen? And I didn't understand it for years and years and years until I realized that it was the judgment that I allowed. I was internalizing somebody else's thoughts that I could never possibly know. 
Mm. And they were negative. And they were negative. They were instantaneously negative and a heavy negative too. And, and, and instead of just trusting myself, my raw naked me with no disguise and no pretense, I all of a sudden was looking for gimmick or how do I make this more or what will this man think of me? Mm -hmm. And <laughs> what was worse, me reciting a poem that I didn't fully understand the words, but at least got out to him or me freezing and not even giving him the dignity of the reading of the poem that he'd heard for 50 years, like <laughs> which was worse. And I, I remember walking away going, why? And realizing later on after doing the analysis and doing the work, it was the judgment. It was the, the fear of judgment. And when somebody talks about their fear of speaking, regardless of whether it's in a boardroom, nobody has a fear of speaking. And I know that because we're about two years old. We, we get over that pretty quickly. We get over that. And even then you don't have, even before that, you didn't have a fear of speaking. You had a fear of not being able to speak, not being able to communicate with your parents, not being understood, right? You fought and fought and fought until you could form words in your mouth and talk to the people and be like, no, I wanted orange juice. Quit giving me the milk. <laughs> <laughs> it's what I asked for. It's what I've always wanted. And, and we, we have no problem speaking, but when somebody talks about public speaking, which by the way, we do every day too. If you are talking to your friend at the mall, you are in public and speaking ergo public speaking. Yes. We all do it, but where people actually have a fear of, they don't fear public speaking. What they fear is the judgment of the words they're about to say, which circles us back to the thing you need to say is the thing you're afraid to say. Because the reason you're afraid to say it is not because it's taboo. It's not because it's evil or bad or whatever thing you're saying inside your head. The reason you're afraid to say that thing is because you're afraid of once it's out there, what is the judgment on me going to be? Mm -hmm. And the sad thing about that is everybody has had that thought. It doesn't matter what your thought is. You can think that I've had the most craziest thought. One of the most powerful exercises I've ever seen with this was at um, Tony Robbins. Uh, I can't remember if it was UPW or no, it was Date with Destiny. When I was down in Florida with him at Date with Destiny. And he does this thing where just to show that we can have love for everybody um, and how, where things go, he had everybody write down on a piece of paper the worst, worst secret of your life. The thing you hide deep down that you don't want anybody to know at all, ever. The thing that you don't even want to acknowledge happened. Your dirtiest, darkest secret. And you wrote it down on a piece of paper and you folded it up so nobody knew who wrote it. You didn't put your name on it. You didn't do nothing. And you dropped it in a basket. And then everybody did it. And we're talking seven to 8,000 people mm -hmm. in his convention hall. And then those baskets go up. And he's like, 
your job is not to judge right now. Your job is to love because these are people who did this thing. And, and I hope that everybody knows here that there is a power to change. And then he started reading the stuff. No names attached to it, but these are people in the room. Look left or right. Somebody wrote this down. And you know what the audience did? They loved on those people. And there are people who resonated with it because you read this one thing and, you know, I did this. Well, my goodness, I did that too. And suddenly it, you didn't feel alone. You didn't feel isolated. You didn't feel shame. You may have felt remorse for it. You may have wished that it couldn't have happened, that you didn't do the thing or you didn't have that secret. But other people had a similar secret. And that's the key. Like, we are not alone. There are over 7 billion people in this world. I assure you, the one thing you think nobody has done, there's at least a million people in the world. And statistically, that's an easy thing to say because that's less than 1%. That is one-seventh of 1%. One, at least a million people in the world have done the thing that you are afraid of ashamed of you don't want to say you don't want to admit and if we're talking about suicide that number is statistically considerably larger yes considerably larger and so if you just say the thing that you are coveting within your heart or you're secreting within your heart or you're disguising or you're obscuring the thing that you're afraid to say that you're keeping night and yeah. blocked you'd be surprised at who else needs to hear that that's a thing because when you share it you're going to you you may find people who have, make no mistake we're judgy people we, we are. are judgy people we are judgment happens and you will find judgment but you will also find community yeah. and the key is is to know that people are going to judge let them judge but your community is going to love and what's better Focusing on where the judgment is coming from or where the love is coming from. Find your community. Say the thing that you're afraid to say. You will find your audience. They will be there right now. And if you don't believe me, look at the former president. The most polarizing man on the planet currently. Do you think he has the people and the detractors who judge him heavily? Largely? And there are people who love him. But there are people who are don't just love him, will storm the Capitol to defend the man. Who do you think he cares about? Do you think he cares about all the people who are judging him? Or do you think he cares about the people who are supporting and loving him? Do you think he found his audience? And to the tune of over 70 million people in his audience no. saying whatever he says? <laughs> You can't be afraid to say the thing that you want to say. The thing that you are secreting is probably the thing that is going to find you your community in a rapid fashion. You know, it's interesting that you say that because there is a, um, a truism that secrets make us sick. And so this conversation about you must speak what your secret is. Now, I'm going to give a caveat, which yeah. is that if you're speaking your secret is going to harm someone else, mm -hmm. then figure out how to do it in a way that doesn't cause a major issue. You know, the 
other piece is that this is such a powerful conversation for me. Having just gone through this process where I stood on a stage and shared my secret, mm -hmm. the one thing that I could not bring myself to talk about for decades is the one thing that now is building a community and a movement that's making a difference. Now, there's no guarantee that whatever your secret is, is going to make a movement and make a difference. But the odds are it's going to make a difference to someone. Well, and that's the thing. If it only makes an impact on one person, you have made a difference. Mm -hmm. Go back to my story about Jared. Jared spoke once. It impacted one person in that room that we know of mm -hmm. that I can scientifically track. It had an impact on one person that one person and this one person went and spoke again and it had an impact on one other person now we're at three mm -hmm. they went this one person now goes and speaks and impacts four other people so there's a ripple effect you may it, it doesn't need to be monumental i don't need to reach an audience of a billion people you and i having this conversation right now and with all the people that are watching it, whoever resonates with this message, they're the ones who needed to hear it. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't care about the people who have tuned it out, who went naked, what? That's unapologetically awful. I'm not listening to anyone who says anything new. By the way, as an issue I have with the book because you know Amazon likes to ban my advertisements because it's indecent. So. You know, I, I, I was going to ask you about that just from a graphics point of view, if you had been banned anywhere, um, be, because that's a relatively interesting picture. Um, well, the irony is originally it was supposed to actually be me, but my photo shoot got canceled and we couldn't arrange it. And we had a press deadline for printing and graphics, et cetera. And so my publisher and my graphic designer got a stock image so that is the closest they could come up with with a, an approximation of what i would almost look like that guy works out a little bit better than i do but <laughs> i'll go with it i like it it gives me something to reach for and the stock image that they purchased comes from amazon amazon okay. also uses it to advertise terry cloth towels in black and white, they're very lovely, um, which are paid promotional. They, they, you, they can promote it and advertise it. And it's the exact same image. It's a stock image. There's no difference. And in fact, I would argue that my book cover uh, shows uh, less of the model than the terry cloth robes do. But um, I'm thinking because naked is tagged at the top of the book that uh, there you have like it. People wouldn't notice that the person was naked without the word being there. It, yeah. I think possibly, yeah. I Welcome to the unfairness of the world, people. It, it, well, and it, it, it becomes a go. larger conversation. And so, and that's the other thing too. You want to talk about speaking your raw naked truth. You want to talk about speaking um, the secrets that you have. We're in a very interesting time in society where taking a stance and saying the thing that you want to say, if it's not the right stance or the right thing to say, could get you banned on social media. And although, and it's weird because again, I'm in a different country and we have 
different thoughts on freedom of speech, although similar and aligned views, we are in Canada different than the United States and mm -hmm. are different than Britain and are different than Australia and are different than India and Germany and everywhere else. Every region has its own thing. And even in El where I am in my province in Alberta, we have different views than the other provinces in my country. Oh, Same my in the state, right? States are regional and whatever. Yeah. But it, right now, it's, it's such an interesting time where we value this freedom of speech. Regardless of your society, somewhere there is a, I have this power, I can say the thing that I want, that should be an intrinsic right. In my Charter of Rights and Freedoms, in my Bill of Rights, whatever you want, I should have this ability to say the thing that's on my mind. Mm -hmm. And we all go, yes, yes, oh, yes, no, that makes sense. And then you have the other argument where, Yes, but you don't have the ability to oppress me with those words or harm me with those words. And I go, okay, no, I, I, no, you're right. I get that. I get that. But whose responsibility is it to censor said words? I have the ability to say whatever I want yep. in my raw naked truth. You have the ability to hear my message and resonate with it or not. Whose responsibility is it? And for me, I say it's everyone's. I think we can self-censor. Yeah, it's really quite, this is a big conversation because we oh, do, one, we do self-censor and not yeah. always for the common good or even for our own good. My concern is that that self-censorship has moved now into platforms where now you have um, very large and commonly used platforms where this is where I express myself and now you have somebody else making a decision on who can and cannot hear that instead of the people themselves making that conversation. You and know, so again, it's a, it's a much further and deeper go, but you know, where, and, okay. Where so I'm, I'm a speaker and an author and I, I have the show. I have reasons to understand one piece of this. So I'm going to ask, okay. Are they censoring things that you've paid for like ads and things like that? Or are they censoring posts where you're just putting the picture and you're speaking? Oh, wait, me personally, yeah. my experience? Oh no, that's paid. But I cannot, I can't use paid advertisements. I can do whatever I want as far okay. as my, my content goes. Uh, although I have found some of the algorithms like to um, uh, bury it if I'm talking about the book cover or things like that, I get, uh, I, can, I can see when, it doesn't like what I'm saying, which I find again, interesting, but no, specifically with Amazon, it's just Amazon will sell my book. Amazon's happy to sell my book because they get money off of it. What they won't do is allow me to use paid advertisements that use the book cover because it doesn't meet their ethics guidelines, which yeah. I don't disagree with their ethics guidelines. And if you were to read them, they make great sense. You particularly with paid advertisements, because they're going to pop up. You don't know who's on the computer. You don't know who is using the cookies. And you don't want a sexually suggestive image popping up in front of a five-year-old. I certainly wouldn't want my daughter seeing the image of, you know, a graphic Harlequin romance. Yeah. Ironically, Harlequin romances with the Fabio covers and the damsel in distress can be advertised under the Amazon rules, but my book, which my daughter advertises for me, I have pictures of Mackenzie doing this with the book and 
because it's dedicated to her and we love it. And it always gets good press when I stick my kid's face on something instead of me because she's way cuter. <laughs> um, you know, I, I have no problem with her. I designed the book so that it could be on a bookshelf in a, in a bookstore and not have to be hidden away in a dark closet. So I don't know. I, I, it makes me laugh when Amazon gets in the way. It's an interesting conversation because who knows? And, and I think you tagged it that it's a combination of words and an image, but who knows? And it's not our ballpark. We don't have control there. Where we, <laughs> no, no. As much as I'd love to pick a fight with Jeff Bezos, I just don't think I'm going to win. Yeah, his ballpark, his rules. <laughs> I have no idea what you just said. Um, and that might be a good thing, but feel free. <laughs> yeah, what's the thing you're afraid to say? Come on. Yeah. Yes. Very large would have been that thing. I was just very giving it gravitas. There we go. All right. Very large. So, Tyler, when it comes to um, this whole concept of every message has an audience, the message you need to be spreading is the message that you're most afraid to talk about. Mm -hmm. Why? Why are you beating this drum? Well, it's not necessarily a drum that I beat, but when we, you were talking about trying to find your ideal audience, right? Mm -hmm. You're, if, and this is, I'm going to pull a whole bunch of different stuff right now. So just, I'm warning everybody out there, including Jackie, we're about to go on a bit of a train ride and I'll try to keep it under five minutes. There we go. There is a very well-documented series of studies now that have developed into a practice called heart math. And it studies the electromagnetic resonance of, a, of the mind and the heart, the gut, the internal workings of our body. And the heart, the reason we can go on an EKG and see our heartbeat is because our heart has a magnetic field around it because it is run by electrical impulses that our body generates. We are conductors. We are 70% water, whole bunch of different studies. The key to know is that when your heart and your mind are in alignment, that the electromagnetic field of your heart expands and grows. And they can actually do, they've done dozens of independent studies on this, where if you and I work together, and I get my mind and my heart in alignment, they can measure that field. And where it's normally, you know, three to four inches outside of your body, a field outside of your body that is possibly slightly visible. Some people call it an aura. Some people call it electromagnetism. You call it whatever you want, but we all have an energy field about us. Mm -hmm. That energy field, when your heart and your mind are in a line, measurably by science expands three to four times. Wow. And just like batteries in a sequence, if you take two, three, four, five, six, six hundred human beings, and we all get our head and our heart in alignment, and we all expand our energy field, it's not one plus one equals two, it's one plus one equals a hundred. Because it's like a power grid in sequence, all of a sudden you can power a city instead of just powering a room. Mm -hmm. So the reason I say that what you have in here that's tucked away, as you said, secrets are, are a cancer within our body. 
And in fact, there has been some studies to show that when we really do hold on to some of these things and internalize them, they actually do metastasize into cancer. Yeah, they keep us sick. They keep us sick. Secrets keep us sick, as you had said. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm harboring something and mm -hmm. I'm internalizing it and I'm not letting it out, I'm doing damage to myself, but worse, because I'm keeping it in, I'm doing damage to others in both sides of the spectrum. So for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Mm -hmm. The equal reaction to me harboring something and keeping in a secret is that I am less authentically me. I'm going to usually have that manifest in anger, frustration, depression. I am therefore not bringing my best self forward to the people that I regularly interact with. The two most important in my life are my wife and my daughter. If I'm not sharing myself authentically, I am not showing up to the best of my ability for my family, which is creating harm to them. Furthermore, that's the equal reaction. The opposite reaction of that is if I'm not sharing that message with the people who need to hear it, who need to resonate it, if Jared hadn't said the thing, Vanessa may not have stood up to speak. Mm -hmm. Neither one of them would have had the opportunity to speak in Invermere. One person would have taken their life, very likely. Mm -hmm. Because that one person took their life, four others would have made an attempt a year later. And I don't know what the ripple down the road is. Yeah. By taking the time to share my message, by freeing my heart by getting my mind and my heart into alignment and sharing and expanding myself energetically and then connecting with other people whose energies are aligned and finding that tribe finding that group finding my support finding my love now i have a support group mm -hmm. whether that's people that i'm leading or people who are standing beside me, or people who I am following, I now have alignment. I have direction. I have purpose. Now, all of a sudden, I am showing up better in my life. That means that my wife and my daughter get the best of me, which means I can support them so that they can be the best of them. And now I have a ripple going out, my opposite effect. If mm -hmm. I don't share that message, if I don't find my alignment, None of that happens. So it's not only harmful to me, but it's harmful to everyone else. You have a message to get out, Jackie. You've, you've had a thing. You've got your TEDx. You've got your red dot. You are making an impact because you found the thing that you needed to say. And as you had pointed out, it's the thing you were really afraid to share. But as oh, soon wow. as you did, look, look at the good that has come of it. And there is... So many more people out there with a message. And it's usually the one who's sitting in the corner going, it doesn't matter. What I have to say doesn't matter. This, who am I? I'm nobody. Mm -hmm. And the problem is there are millions of people who feel that way. So if you have the one person who stands up and says, I feel strongly this way. Somebody else hears that proclamation and they go, I felt that way too. And I am so glad to hear that I'm not alone. What is the, the greatest feeling in the world is knowing you're not alone. It is. 
It is. It is part of the sense of being safe in the world is knowing that you're connected with other people, that you're part of a community. It's a basic human need to feel connected. And it's one of the biggest challenges of our day. Yes. And again, I would say that I think one of the biggest struggles, and I said it right off the top, is right now we're all connected, mm -hmm. but we are still isolated. And, it, and it, I very much looking forward to when we can reset so that we can have real physical connection. Because right now, um, I love doing this, the brain heart exercise in a room. Mm -hmm. And a lot of when I'm doing my seminar, I have a two and a half day facilitation for the power to speak naked. And when we do it, that's one of the things that we do right off the top, because I need people to get into alignment with their, with what they really actually want to say. Because when we say, well, who is my tribe? Who is my niche? Who is my avatar? I'll tell people you right now, if you are one of those people who are going, I don't know who my avatar is. I will tell you right now, your avatar is you three to five years ago. Mm -hmm. Don't try to look beyond that. You may have this widget or this book or this course or this thing that solves world hunger or peace. You want to know who you're marketing to? You, three to five years ago. Because you didn't have the answers three to five years ago that you do now. Bam. And the key to getting those people to come to you is what is the thing that you were afraid to say three to five years ago that you didn't want anybody to know that you finally reached out for help for. You got the help. You found the, you found the path. You, you followed a Sherpa up the mountain. And now you've planted your flag at the top. And now you just need to bring other people up to see the view. But the only way to have them see the view is be like, hey, I lived in that valley too. Mm-hmm. And if, if you're afraid to say that I lived in the valley, you'll never help a single soul. You know, I think you've hit upon something really, really key. And so there are two things I want to discuss really quickly. One is the heart math and this visualization that you do with everybody in the room to get them into alignment. And is it something that we can do? Uh, yes, not effectively right here on this um on no. this call in the time that we have but it there i i know when you were speaking earlier you guys were talking about uh, you know finding the quiet time um the um taking the self-love right mm -hmm. a lot of times the things that we're doing for self-love what i want everybody to do um and i i learned this from a really fine gentleman shazad um right now i want you to just take a moment and I'm not going to try and get you to meditate or nothing. But what I would want you to do is I want you to place two fingers together like this. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I want you to rub your fingers ever so gently. And I want you to see if you can feel the ridges. Concentrate on feeling the ridges of your finger. So that you're conscious of every ripple, every bit of your fingerprint on both fingers. How does it feel as your finger touches your thumb? How does it feel as your thumb touches your finger? 
Now take a deep breath in. And as you breathe in, I want you to concentrate and breathe out on the temperature of your breath going in your nose. What's the temperature as it comes out? Now just take a moment and I want you to think, how does your body feel right now? Just in doing that, how does your body feel? Taking a couple of moments just to do that will put you into a quick alignment. Now there's more that needs to do that because now we have to start connecting what does our heart know, what does our brain know? Mm. But I want, I, I bet you we can do this because this will be a fun exercise because you and I, Jackie, can't see the rest of the audience. But I'll be curious to know what pops up in the screen if we have people who can type in the chat. Mm -hmm. So I can't see where you are in your room. I can't see, you can't see me in my room. We have no geographic information right now, yep. right? I want everybody, even though you're not on camera, please, please participate in this. It's super fun. I promise you, you're going to, ready? Wherever you are right now, I want you to point to wherever north is. Everybody right now, one, two, three, point north. If you don't know, take a guess, okay? Now, where is east? Point to east. Point to west. Point south. Point north again. Point south again. Point east again. Point west again. Point to yourself. Keep your hands exactly where they are. Don't move. Are you pointing closer to your heart or to your head? Jackie, I can see you. You're pointing to your heart. Your fingers are down. You're going this way. I did this. I guarantee you 90, 95% did this or this. There you go. See, where are we pointing? We are pointing to our hearts. Why? Because that's me. Because our self is not in here. This is not where we identify with us as human beings, as individuals. This is where we resonate. And because this is where we resonate, this is where we point to because this is where our self is. So if you want to know if this is a true thing, if what you're about to say is the real thing that needs to be said, this will never do you any good. You need to know <laughs> here that that's the thing that needs to be said because this is who you are. And you just proved it inherently because this is where you pointed to yourself, not here. Nobody, when I do this exercise goes, east, west, here is me. They all do this, mm -hmm. they do this, they do this. These are the signs because we're pointing to where we know we live. Here is ourself. Oh, here is ourself. What a great exercise. That was lovely. Thank you so much, Tyler. That was great. Oh, now, before I forget, all right, so you're going to have to chat about this for just a minute. We're going to take the time. Mind. It's the audience analyst analysis, sorry, the audience analysis checklist. Mm -hmm. So every talk has an ideal audience. Let's yep. find yours. Great tagline, by the way. 
So what is the value for someone going through this exercise to figure out who their ideal audience is? So the audience analysis checklist is a great thing if you have your talk prepped. And uh, I'm going to throw up some extra bonuses on there where I just have my team working on it right now. Um, so anybody who goes there, you'll get the audience analysis checklist and then a couple other bonuses because if you don't know what your ideal audience is, we need to find it out. Mm. That will help tailor your message. And then once you have your um, message tailored uh, and know who, who you are and what you want to present, no two audiences are the same. So you need to figure out how to tailor, tailor your message for your audience. And what the evaluation tool does is allows you to um, very quickly assess who are you going to be speaking to and what you need to do to make sure that your message resonates with your audience and delivers the impact that you need to do, whether it's for the promoter that you're working for or whether it's your wife or husband. Or I was going to say, this is not child. just for speakers, people. This is this not is just for speakers. communication. Yeah. So what, who am I trying to deliver this talk to? For me, if I'm trying to deliver it to my five-year-old, you know, what is the language that I need to use? What are the takeaways that we need to take? And really, as, as weird as it is, it's, it's a fun exercise to do. The next time you have a thing you need to talk to your spouse about, run the audience <laughs> analysis and, and see how you need to tailor your message so that it is heard the way that it is. Cool. What a, what a great and amazing gift. You know, Tyler, this has been a lot of fun because we covered a lot of ground. You mentioned some other resources and I just want to pull them up. You said to listen to Jared's talk, the 10 minute yeah. time machine. Um, what's Jared's Jared Morrison, 10 oh. minute time machine. Um, I don't know if it's online or not. Um, it should be. Okay. Uh, if it's, if it's not, um, Jared Morrison, uh, I think he, his, uh, Instagram is probably Jared speaks, I think, or Jared talks or Jared writes, Jared writes. Uh -huh. Um, but, uh, Jared Morrison, 10 minute time machine. Um, I sure I have a copy of it. So worst case scenario, I can always give him a call and see if I can distribute it out to you to distribute to everybody. It is a phenomenal, uh, 50 minute discussion on the greatest gift he ever received and that was his life back yeah got it okay so the one of the things i was thinking of is that that would be a great asset to put into the society the teen suicide prevention society officially launched this weekend and so we are gathering real-time data so that we can use it to petition governments to fund pure prevention programs I don't think that there's enough information available to governments to figure this out, that they need to be putting the funding ahead of the obvious need. Yeah. Yes, we need to fund intervention programs for people who are at risk, but we also need to fund the pure prevention programs. And so I'm thinking that that would be a very inspiring talk for people yeah. who are members of the society. And this members of the society, it's, it's a free membership. It is where we are starting to have these conversations in deeper depth, deeper depth. And so there we go. Katie and I were on a race to get the link into the chat. It, that happens a lot. So darn. <laughs> yeah, if I can, if I can share it, it, it's my gift. I'd be happy to do it. 
I will uh, reach out, get the permissions, and I will get you over the video. It is, it's a very, again, powerful talk. And uh, Jared's brilliant in the way that he presents it. He does such a good job of weaving story and everybody, including him, is crying at the end. I've heard that talk probably a hundred times. I still cry to this day. It, it's <laughs> phenomenal. Thank you very, very much, Tyler. I greatly appreciate it.